0: Hope and Patience with Amelia Rope, a podcast about business, well-being and chocolate.
1: Hello and welcome to our latest episode of Hope and Patience. It's a treat to have you here and if you're new to the show, the hugest of hellos. Just to give you the heads up, if you sign up to the H&P monthly or weekly newsletter, you're in with a chance of winning one of our chocolate bars. Now our guest today has had quite a journey in his life, a journey which has led him to become a founder of a community-based charity where hairdressers donate their support to the homeless. They have 600 volunteers, near to 68 projects on the go and have delivered around 40,000 pockets of joy in the form of haircuts for homeless souls since they started back in 2014. Their sponsors include the National Lottery Community Fund, affiliates include the British Beauty Council and L'Oreal, and this year the charity won the Marie Claire UK Hair Awards 2021 Special Jury Prize, which is a special recognition for helping others. Their global ambassador is none other than the Game of Thrones star, Lena Headey. So time to introduce our guest, Stuart Roberts, founder of Haircuts for Homeless and also host of the podcast of which I was lucky to be a guest on last year, Hear Me, See Me. Hello and welcome to h Stuart.
0: Hello, how are you?
1: I'm really well. It's fab to get you in on the show.
0: That's a pleasure.
1: You're a busy, busy man.
0: You lured me in with the with the promise of chocolate. So you, you, you knew what button to push.
1: <laughs> I know, there's always a the chocolate. And this bar actually that you've picked, which we're not going to tell the lovely listeners yet, is one that I haven't tried for a long time. So I'm I'm desperate, and it's the afternoon, and I'm desperate for that little bit of sugar fix. So we've got to crack on with the show and then we'll get yes. a chocolate break. So, Stuart, haircuts for homeless, an incredible charity. How and why did it all come together?
0: It, it came together by accident, like a lot of things do. It, it was never an idea of mine to, to pursue. It's just that um, recently I was 15 years sober, which is relevant because at that time I'd already been sober for about five years and I'd learned that part of why staying sober was to keep helping other people. It's to sort of stop getting selfish again. That's, that's, it's quite a practical thing. So I was going on a a hairdresser's day off, is a Monday. I was going off to the local Salvation Army and I was doing like buddying and chatting to guys who were struggling with alcohol and stuff like that and drugs. And at the same time, it was 2014, I saw a guy in America, Mark Bustos, doing these street makeovers and it just blew my mind. they, They were so striking, the difference between seeing the guys sitting down with all the beard and everything and then looking really slick after it touched a cold. So the next week, I thought, I'll, I'll go an hour early and I'll take my scissors and I'll see if anyone wants a haircut. And it was a bit, there was a bit dubious at first, but I, I'd done sort of four or five haircuts and it like reignited my love for hairdressing because by then I'd been hairdressing for like 30 years or so. No, I'd had a salon for 30 years. i have been hairdressing for about 40 years. Wow. And uh, Yeah, and I was like a bit dissolute, you know, like you start off just loving hairdressing and then you end up, running the business and paying VAT and AYE and all these things and not as much as what you're winning it for and this went right back to that pure exchange of making someone look and feel better and it just as I say reignited my passion and before long uh, a few friends said they'd join in put a few pictures on Facebook a few other places wanted us to sort of go to there as well and and you know, I quickly realised it was something that we could replicate, Uh, but it was only really supposed to be me on a Monday in (laughs) Romford.
1: And it's grown to Mm. a massive size, Stuart. I mean, how many... Is it you and your sister, or have you got more people helping there?
0: The the people who run the... It's just me and my sister run the charity. It it started out as a community group. We then got a small amount of money from the lottery. Uh, We then, about a year later... Applied for a slightly bigger amount of money, and we, we managed to get further away, you know, further afield with it all. But it was sort of to, the turning point was around about early 2019. The lottery made they made it sometime before, but they put out this advert featuring haircuts for homeless, and it went on all the main channels. You know, it was played during the FA Cup. It got they really used it a lot, uh, uh, and it gave us so much uh, traction and traffic on on. Our, social media and and people getting in touch. And it was like a catalyst to really grow into a, a fully registered charity, which we are now.
1: And the, and the video is so potent. I mean, I remember when it went out and I saw mm. it and it really got me. And then lovely Stu Whiffen uh, knew you and, and, and we were introduced and everything else. But just an incredible charity. I mean, we've had the pandemic. We're still in the pandemic. How has it affected Haircuts for Homeless having the ability to go out and deliver those pockets of joy to the homeless?
0: I love that. Pockets of joy. It's, it was devastating. You know, like, we literally had to down tools overnight. You know, it's not something we could sort of carry on and, or change the way we did it. The only way we do it is frontline, face-to-face work. It wasn't that we didn't want to do it. It was that I didn't really want to put my volunteers in that situation. But also it was the centres themselves, you know, some of them residential and, they, you know, they didn't really want outside people coming in. So it just it sort of stopped overnight. And um, unfortunately, a lot of the projects probably won't get back to uh, starting again. But we've got, in that time, we've been we've inundated with requests to start, you know, at new places. So our aim is, at the end of this year, to get back to where we were at the end of last year. <laughs> but then we can move on, you know.
1: And have many of, I mean, I, the word homeless, I know that, that homeless doesn't necessarily mean that you're living on the streets, but have a lot of your guests been moved into hotels over the pandemic? Because Have you lost quite a few people through that?
0: If, if, if that were the way we lost them, I'd be really, really happy. But unfortunately, uh, as things are, uh, many, many did get housed. And, and the powers that be done a wonderful job of getting people inside. However, it was sort of it. It was always going to be finite, you know. There, mm. You know, there's not a never-ending supply of money. It took a lot of money to do that, and they there was a lot of noise made about them going in, but there was very little noise made about them coming out, and it was very, oh, you know, like abrupt. I remember last year when I was getting calls from some of my centres saying, "Look, the, the guys are getting put straight out. They've now." lost all their stuff we was desperate for tents and all like that because people were getting like a day's notice so it literally will be they go down that morning and say right you've you've got to find somewhere else tonight so it it brought its own problems and also some guys if they've been out there a long time they don't want to go inside Mm. it's almost a fear so it seems a simple thing to do but it, it, it logistically was very difficult because some just wouldn't go in or they'd go in and complete like almost straight away go back out there but also sometimes it brought problems for the places you know if they took over a, an empty hotel you know you've got people that have got specific needs and and sometimes they're, they're, they've they got any social behaviors and these sort of things so there'd be problems with the building they're in you know a few buildings got trashed and that but that's not how everyone is but that is going to happen when you put people who are not used to being in in those surroundings you know so it was i'm trying oh this all sounds a bit negative it was wonderful to get people safely indoors but it was always going to be temporary
1: well, let's hope that the projects can get kickstarted again because there'll be so many souls out there who will be wanting to have... I mean, I just see it as a pocket of joy and I, and I really felt that when I watched the video and I've watched it several yeah. times. You see their faces light yeah. up. And, you know, if we think about what hairdressing means to us, especially females, that sounds very yeah. sexist, but, you know, through lockdown you're thinking, oh, my goodness, it's going so grey and it's going so long and whatever else... Yeah. And you go to the hairdresser and you just feel a million dollars, even if it's yeah. for a fleeting second. And it's that feeling of sort of self-worth. It's that feeling of just a bit of intimacy in a in a very professional way.
0: Well, you, you, that is exactly it. But if you sort of multiply that by 10 or 100, that's sometimes the effect we have on the people we help because they're so far removed from any of that that when they do get it, it's it's... It can be life changing, you know, it can be people they they tend to underestimate the effect it can have. I mean, for instance, I was at a new we set a new project up in Holborn on Monday afternoon. And it wasn't a homeless place, it was uh people with very uh, specific mental health needs. Everyone was extremely vulnerable, you know. And the last guy we did, I could say his first name, last no, guy, Rupert, lovely man, and he um they actually said to us, Oh, he doesn't speak. You know, he won't actually speak to you. But he spoke to us, you know, this uh, my sister's great, you know. She got the COVID form and she said, and he, she said, what's your name? He's Rupert. And then she said, what's your surname? He said, I'm going to take the fifth on that. So he'd already started to engage, you know. Yeah. And, he, um, and I, I cut his hair and it was he was he came in, he's very dishevelled, you know, his his clothes were very dishevelled. He had very long sort of dirty hair. He had a very long beard. And he wanted his hair cut off. So I, I, I managed to cut his hair off. And I said, what about your beard? He said, I, I think I'll have to a stubble. So, <laughs> you know, his character was then coming out. But at the end, I showed him the mirror and literally he was very close to tears. The emotional effect on him of seeing himself clean shaven, like someone laying hands on him, You know, for someone who has not been engaging to anyone, engaged to two strangers in a room over the course of about 45 minutes, you know, so it's very difficult when I hear people say what's only a haircut, I, I challenge anyone to come and witness that and think, think that.
1: I mean, it's life changing, really, isn't it? Yeah. Have you heard of any stories of your guests who've gone on to then potentially find a job or, you know, potentially move forward again in life?
0: Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> many don't. You know, because you're, mm. you're talking about a, a problem that's so ingrained sometimes that the, the percentages are low. Uh, having said that, we new numerous occasions do come across it. So it's just it's just that you know it's one of those things that i don't i love seeing people again but i sort of don't want to see them again you know like some people i've cut their hair for 6 years or so and i love to be a little bit of a constant in their life but i'd rather they they get out of that um it's a bit like do you remember that film good will hunting yes i've said this before and you know the this thing is look one day i'm going to knock on the door and you're going to be gone you know yes <laughs> and it was that and I, w- I want to go and they go yeah, he's gone. He's got a place or he's moved away or um but it's not always the way. But we get we we had we where was we last week it was at Milton Keynes and that reopened for the first time in sort of six months. And it was oh, I was at YMCA. And one of the guys there, a young guy, is um Hetty who runs it for us, a lovely lady, she she sort of said, Oh he came in, how are you doing? Everything he said, Oh no, I'm, I'm actually I'm volunteering. I'm actually I'm working here. And I'm working, but I come back and I volunteer. And so in that space of time, he'd got a job, and he. but he still came back and volunteered with all the guys he'd met. And that does happen quite a lot. And sometimes some of the volunteers you meet are actually previous homeless. So, um, yeah, there, there are a lot of good stories.
1: Are there any stories, Stuart, that sort of resonate with you when you've been cutting the hair and you find it difficult to detach when you go back home from what you've heard?
0: Yeah, uh, there'll be things, um, you know, like I've been doing a lot of stuff this last year or so uh, uh, with domestic violence. And I can say, because one of my children has spoken out about it and helped a lot of people with it, so one of my daughters went through it. So when I get someone who's, uh, you know, could we do a lot of work in women's refuges or we get people who have been through that, uh, you know, and they end up they often end up homeless as a you know it's preferable to to run away and leave everything behind than to stay in that situation and that's always quite difficult because it it's a bit close to home for me but it's made me even stronger trying to bring attention to the problem
1: Yeah, really, really tragic. I mean, you've got phenomenal supporters to (laughs) your charity. I mean, your sponsors, (laughs) the affiliates, and Lena How? What is it, do you think, that's harnessed them? Um,
0: Well, Lena in particular, she she just started liking some pictures on Facebook, on uh, Instagram, Uh, and then I saw she started following us. So I just dropped in a DM, I slid into her DMs and (laughs) said... uh, do you want to be our, our um, ambassador? <laughs> and she went, yeah, right. <laughs> so, And it took quite a while because she's a very busy woman and we finally met up uh, for a coffee. And then she said, right, what, what what's an ambassador? I said, I don't know. I thought you might tell me. <laughs> <laughs> and we said, we just well, we'll figure that out as we go along. But what an ambassador, what she proves to be is, is a very loyal supporter. Um, I get lots of messages from her privately, uh, just, you know, acknowledging what we're doing uh, but she's actually rolled her sleeves up she's come down she's moving country one day and she came down to the white chapel mission cut hair with us it was really engaging with the, the volunteers and the guests so you know it's wonderful people do have ambassadors for these charities but if you get one that's really engaging with the charity um it's it's quite special and i think it's just that it it does what it says on the tin you know like the pictures the videos they it doesn't need a lot of explanation for people to to hook people with it you know and if there's something in them that resonates with that um like it they connect very quickly i think that's what that's what helps get people on board
1: i mean it's phenomenal um on your instagram when you just <laughs> put up now you're putting up the images of of the guests whose hair you're cutting and as you say you don't need any words the photos say it no. all
0: no they the it's the eyes a lot of the time um I think you you you, you see into someone's soul sometimes with their eyes and I think what's interesting is is since we've all been wearing marks we've been looking deeply into each other's eyes a lot more mm. and it's really brought eyes to the attention I think and I think we, won't, we will be wearing masks, you know, a lot of the time for quite some time. But, yeah, it, it sort of forces you to, to to sort of have that eye contact. And But some of the – I've got a, a guy – I was in Birmingham yesterday and I, I, I put a guy's picture on, but I've got about half a dozen. And we, we do make sure – I want to clarify this – we really make sure that they're 100% happy about us using photos. Mm-hmm. And it's been our experience that, that often, because someone – often feels invisible, they love the visibility of having their photograph done and being used, you know. So this guy, this guy yesterday, he, he just got, he's got a wonderful face. He said at Christmas they often talk him into being Santa Claus, you know, because <laughs> he's got this <laughs> wonderful white beard and and oh it, it's just he it was just a lovely man, you know. And I think those that picture of him yesterday and I'm gonna put a couple more on soon that Somehow, I think if you just see that picture, you see what what I'm talking about about the man. Do you know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. like they sometimes, if you capture it right, you get the essence of someone. Um, We've got a fantastic photographer, uh, Jack Eames, who's done a lot of industry photography. um, And he comes around with us. He does it all free of charge. um, And he really gets some amazing pictures. Um, So if ever you see any credit to Jack Eames, you'll see so many wonderful work he's done.
1: Yeah, they're very evocative. Stuart, yeah. what skill sets have you needed to not only set up the charity, but also to grow it?
0: Uh, I, <laughs> many that I didn't know I possessed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because we we are perceptively quite a big charity, but in reality a very tiny, tiny charity. I mean, it's just me and my sister, you know, we... <laughs> we and and you get these sort of people say, oh, can we speak to a PR department? Can we speak to your <laughs> marketing department? And and I go, Yes, you are. <laughs> it's like we 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 are really tiny, but we, we sort of seem to have quite an impact. But some of the skill sets have been um I think the most important thing is you've got to be a people this is about people. So if you've not got a love for people, uh this isn't for you, you know. Um, there's a massive organizational skills needed which comes in the form of my sister Uh, she's the real sort of organizational person behind all this Um, together we do any funding applications We, we managed in lockdown to to catch up on a lot that we would if we were out there doing the stuff the actual work it sometimes the other stuff gets left behind a little bit so even though we had to down tools, we've really got on top of all the paperwork, all their funding applications, and it's it's tough because getting getting any funding at all at the moment um, is very difficult for small charities. I know a lot of people who, who I've come across with, you know, other charities are all finding the same thing. You know, the bigger ones have got reserves, but the smaller ones haven't got reserves to fall back on, and that's that's what's a bit of a tough time.
1: One skill set, Stuart, that I think you've missed off is being a good listener. I would imagine.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, you wouldn't think so in this one because I haven't shut up yet. But uh, <laughs> you
1: do, though, when you're host on your podcast. Yeah,
0: I <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, and and a hairdresser. This is. I mean, I was. I've been, like I say, I've been hairdresser for forty four years now. And I, if you ain't a good listener, you're not going to last in hairdressing because people like to offload. You know. Uh, so it, it comes with a territory and that's why our volunteers are so good at what they do, because they're born for it. <laughs> you know, they're the perfect volunteers for what we do.
1: Do you think your sobriety has given you an empathy with your guests, a different form of empathy that you might not have had before? Uh,
0: if I, if, to the point where if, if it was before, I wouldn't have even been doing it mm-hmm. because i would I, I would have been i was too selfish to do anything like this um i it was all about me and getting ahead and you know and i, I the thing is when you go for recovery and if you do the, the steps and all that sort of stuff that people do a lot of it is finding out about yourself and this is why people struggle with it it's a very simple thing to do but it's so difficult because we tend to not like what we find out <laughs> we we you know you have these sort of preconceived ideas of who you are what you are, and when you really break it down, you realize that what you saw as being you know generous to a thought would be self seeking and you know like um and when you're you know w- w- being proud of things but, you, you know you're just you're just being arrogant <laughs> and it it's a it's a massive learning curve. And I, I think it does. You're completely right. It gives me the absolute empathy towards someone because I, I, I feel what they're going through. You know, if 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 you see me in action, sometimes Jack's been Jack's been following us a lot lately, and he's he's been watching it, and he said that there's something comes over you. Um, see, I don't know because I'm just doing it, but he said there's something comes over you. There's like a an energy that comes over you, and you just tune in. To someone and it's almost like mesmerising where there's just you and them in this because they're very chaotic like backgrounds you know there's all this stuff going on but we managed to really tune into someone I found it really interesting when he said it because obviously I'm just doing it I I didn't notice that.
1: (laughs) Where do you think your work ethic comes from Stuart? My dad. What did he do?
0: He my dad was uh, Scottish he was in the army. He worked uh, in a, a for Blue Circle a clay plant, you know. But he was he worked his way up from being a a manual worker there to being a plant manager. And he always spent like he, I think every day of his working life he was there an hour early, you know, and he's always the last one to leave. He couldn't understand once I got my own business, you know, I sometimes say, "Yeah, I'm not in tomorrow He say, "What? What do you mean?" <laughs> I go, "Was." Well, like you know, binders, binders doing it so. On. Oh, well, you have a day off. <laughs> and it was like, so it, yeah, I feel guilty to have a day off or an hour.
1: <laughs> Ingrained, didn't you? Yeah, what, yeah. <laughs> what would you say has tested you the greatest, and what have you learnt from it in life? Life or the charity, your hairdressing business before?
0: Well, obviously, the, the losing it was the the biggest challenge um i mean it, it was it i probably building it up was a challenge but i was young and i had i was young dumb and full of fun so it was all sort of like it, it the risks i took you know i sold my house and bought a uh, bought a free old building and all these things the risks i took and you know mortgages to the hill and all these things but you didn't really think of it then you know, and then I was willing to put in the hours. You know, we used to we was open from nine in the morning till ten at night. But you, wow. it was to keep it going. You know, like it was to it was to make something. It wasn't a sacrifice. But um, I think then as you get older, I, I got I got a bit run down with it all because the industry suffered a lot. We you know had great highs, great lows, but the last few years was very very difficult the high street took a real hit and the last straw for us was when the the uh, lease went out it was we had a I think 14 year lease and the landlord doubled the rent and he wouldn't back down and basically we was already struggling I'd already taken out a second mortgage which I shouldn't wow. have done but I took mm-hmm. that out to keep the figure because the thing is it's your thing you know I put 20 at that point I would put 25 years into this <laughs> it was our silver silver anniversary you know it was about to we were struggling so i sort of it, kept it going for another five years and then when he did that literally i'd nowhere else room to, for maneuver i had to close the business and because of the pressure he put on i had to do it very quickly so it was, there's a lot a, a shock factor there and <laughs> it was you have to laugh it was uh, the day i did it i had to close on the saturday I, it, anyone who knows us knows i rely heavily on my sister we've got a great um, relationship and we we're very supportive of each other, but she happened to be on holiday when I had to do it that day because he was going to put a sale board up. So I said, "I can't let I can't let the girls come in next week and just see for sale board up." I've I've got to tell them today, so I I did that. I got them all together. It broke my heart. I think my sister would have stopped me if she'd have been there because I sort of done this thing where they'd all gone and I was all sort of and I made this sort of like video of of turning off the lights for the last time, which I then put on Facebook. <laughs> I think I was having a melt, minor breakdown. Uh, but having said that, it makes me cringe to think of it now, but it helps a lot of people because that then I've got all these messages of people who are in the same position, that, that, that you know, they was inches away from being in the same position. So it helped then to, to see someone who was perceivably a bit successful having, you know, having that happen to them. Uh, so they're not on their own. Sort of
1: giving them permission in a way yeah. to, to yeah. join you. So I mean, that yeah. was a big grieving process, I would imagine. Yeah.
0: Well, then that night was the first night that I showed the um, advert. So oh, I literally no went from my phone lit up with everyone saying, "Are you are you okay? Are you okay?" At five o'clock, to then at eight o'clock at night, my god, I've just seen you on the on the X Factor adverts, <laughs> and it. I had to turn it off. I couldn't cope with it for about twenty four hours. Um, and then my sister came back a couple of days later, and then we had the pro the long process of, you know, closing the place down, emptying it out, insolvency people coming and actually selling our furniture to people, in the you know through the back door mm-hmm. while you're standing there. It's it, it was so so destroying, but the thing what did it what helped me um, is that was over Christmas. And uh, I, I, did, I took it really bad. But I kept doing my project. I kept going out and doing my thing. And um, it was very early January. I went off to, I was, I've said this many times, so forgive anyone who's heard it, but I went off to Ipswich uh, on my own, uh, long drive, and I really felt I'd lost everything. And then I went in there, cut a young boy's here who was about the same age as my son, who told me he was living in a tent. And then he explained to me the practicalities of living in a tent in the height of winter. That when he would try and go to bed early, you know, stay warm. But when he'd seal up the tent, he would then have condensation of that his breathing, which then when the temperature dropped would freeze. So he'd literally have ice on the inside of his tent. Mm. And I drove away from that. And I'm thinking that, that that's my that's my boy's age. And at that point I thought maybe we, we, we might have lost our house, but I was thinking Even if we lose our house, we'll still be able to buy a small house. We'll still be able to, you know, we've still got options. Whereas what options has that boy got? And I drove away from there feeling so grateful, so sort of slightly embarrassed at feeling sorry for myself. Um, And this is what I say to people. When you go out and do things for people, it's not purely for them. You will get something. You will get a payback. And the best all the best antidote for feeling bad is just doing something good
1: it seems such a definitive sign stuart that the ad was on that amazing day where you just <laughs> were losing your whole life and what you've been yeah. brought. I mean, there's a sort of serendipity to it. Yeah. And also that humbling occasion where you were reminded by the universe that, you know, there are other people who are mm. in a really bad way and that actually you are okay. It's not where you wanted to be and where you necessarily want to be long term, but you yeah. are okay. And and that, I i don't know about you, but I love the way that life does those sort of things, and you get these messages mm. that happen in a in a serendipitous sort of way. Mm. So, would you say, Stuart, that you have an inner critic at all? And if you <laughs> do, what? How do you live with it? What do you do with it?
0: Inner critic, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I've got all the mental defects that come with being um, having an addictive personality. And one of those is, you know, I've got a huge ego and a chronic low self esteem. So with the chronic low self, and that that is gen—that's quite a general one among anyone who suffers from any sort of form of addiction. And uh, the the chronic low self esteem will be the the, the bad. The, it will be the thing that that, um, that goes in your ear, and you know, everything you do, you question. I was thinking earlier, actually. I went to send a text to someone, I was thinking, I don't know how many people read it through about ten times before they press send to see if it's, read it different ways to see how it might be interpreted, you know? And I thought, probably a lot of people, because we're so worried, aren't we, about saying something wrong or upsetting someone. But it's a lack of confidence, isn't it, in yourself?
1: Yes, and and, but sometimes we can say the wrong things and I think sometimes that's just not taking a bit of a pause before I think it's being isn't it, it's being reactive to something initially. I now, if I see an email that just makes (laughs) me fizz inside, I think, okay, I'm gonna park that up and I'll address it tomorrow. (laughs) When I've slightly defizzed from the whole situation.
0: (laughs) Fantastic advice. <laughs>
1: Stuart, would you say that anything has ever slipped by you in life that you regret taking out your previous business?
0: How can you really regret anything? You know, because we cannot do anything about it. One of my favorite sayings is you can look back at the past, but don't stare. So it's, you know, you can be aware of that stuff. You can be aware of it as to, you know, do your best and not to re, you know, redo the same stuff. But can you really do anything about it? And it's very freeing when you realise that you, you can't. And there's only so much you could do. I can only... All I can ever... I can't change people, places and things, which is another well-known one. But, uh, you know, once you accept that, is there any point in, in, in sort of what what could have happened or what did? I mean, I would have changed many, many things, but I can't. All I can be is the best version of myself I can today. I will mess up tomorrow and then... I will have to do the whole process again.
1: What would you say that you've learned about yourself?
0: I learn. I learned I've learned so much. I learn. We all learn all the time. It's just sometimes you're not aware of it. But when you start to look for it, then you become more aware of what, of the changes. And you know, this last lockdown, it made me reassess everything, as many people did, and I, I learned so much about myself. Um, I've recently had a. a quite a big financial problem and it's it's made me realize how weak I am in some respects you know the thing with my daughter it made me reassess everything I was about being a man because to be a man in my in my old mind would have been to do what you want to do as a dad (laughs) in that situation but then the logical thing is to not make a, a martyr out of the person that's that stood it, uh, uh, and wait for them to come back and learn and, and support them when they do come back. But then what happens is is you'll split them with your head and your heart, and your head knows that you did the right thing because it proves it by them moving on with my life. My, you know, my thoughts has got a wonderful a wonderful uh, fiancé now two beautiful kids and it could have doing the wrong thing could have could have just forced them into the other person's arms you know but then the heart part is the thing of the the man not protecting their daughter Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and that's very hard to live with you know because the heart will often rule out the head when you're on your own (laughs) in the middle of the night
1: (laughs) but you did it I mean you balanced yeah.
0: it all. I know all that. Yeah. I know all that. But I didn't protect her. And and I think that's the thing and when I so how I protect her now, how, how I do it now is so when I do when it does come to light and I can shine a light and I have these wonderful guests on my podcast of like, you know, Jodie Woodward, but the bravery they've shown, you know, uh Chandra Wurundu the, the the woman who who was, you know, she left Indonesia on, on, to get a job and ended up working in a brothel for years, you know, like mm. against her will. And, you know, just literally these thing's going on in the world. We can't change them ourselves, but we the, more we the more light we shine on that stuff, the more awareness we bring about it, the more people realise that these things aren't acceptable.
1: And hopefully change will come. Yeah. So, Stuart, moving into our quick fire round before we tuck into chocolate, yes. would you say that you're optimist or pessimist?
0: Uh, both.
1: both. Both? I don't know what a, the word is for that. Both. <laughs> Sitting in the middle.
0: It, it's called schiz, schizophrenic. <laughs> uh, it, yeah, I'm, I'm both. Yeah, I am on, a, on an hourly basis.
1: <laughs> would you say that you're introvert, extrovert or an ambivert? Both. Yeah, there you go, ambivert.
0: I'm ambivert. Yeah, that's it. Because, because on the surface I'm very extrovert, but very deep down I'm very introverted.
1: Perfectionist or non-perfectionist?
0: No, I'm not a perfectionist.
1: I thought you were going to say both.
0: (laughs) No, no, definitely not perfectionist.
1: Early bird or night owl? Night owl. So we have made it through to the chocolate break, Fantastic. which is exciting. Now we have a peppermint arrow, and yes. I've always been fascinated with the bubbles and also how they create them. But this was originally made by Roundtree and it was launched in 1935 in the right. north, and it was so successful up there that it was rolled out to the whole of the UK in 1936. So, Stuart, why have you picked Peppermint Aero.
0: Why have I picked it? I nearly went for, uh, uh, you know, all these wonderful, you know, chocolates that are very high quality and all of these mm-hmm. things. And I thought, what chocolate really gets me? Mm-hmm. Uh, and because I love coffee, because it, it was a toss up between a, an Aero or an After Eight.
1: Oh, I sh- interesting.
0: I shouldn't say an After Eight because I should really say a box of After Eights. <laughs> yeah, I know.
1: Because once you have one, yeah. you
0: can't stop. You just, just, your hand keeps going in there.
1: Yeah.
0: But, um, yeah, a, an aero going with a coffee mm-hmm. is just my, you know, it's not like oranges and lemons. It's just, it's just, it's just go together, you know. Like, I, But I, I have, I probably have one of these every day.
1: <laughs> a peppermint one? Yeah. Or yes. Oh, no.
0: Don't ever give me a chocolate one.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Oh, no. Don't insult me. And one time, <laughs> some horrible person somewhere in the world developed the caramel one.
1: Oh, I haven't tried that.
0: Oh, it's vile. Is it? Yeah, it's a salt. I don't mind, they they did have orange ones, I don't mind those. Mm. But to go with a coffee, you need a mint arrow.
1: It feels very light and fluffy and and healthy, which it clearly isn't. But anyway, have a think on what the words success and failure mean to you.
0: Uh, Success. The interesting thing is I'm, what am I, I'm 59 in July and I've sort of lived two or three lifetimes, I think, in my own life. And the younger version of myself, success would have been so different to me answering it today. I, you know, I had my own business for many years. But there was a point when it was very, very successful. I used to, you know, I've moved 10 times in my years. So I've, I've, I've sort of, you know, in, increased my house as I've gone along. And there was a point Point some time ago, where I had um, we we had a pool put in at some point. We've got quite a big garden. We are quite a posh area. Although I wouldn't recommend it, the neighbours aren't it's good. But um, <laughs> we we you know I was I was in my pool. It was you know it was probably a Monday because it I was off. I bought myself one of those great big um, chairs. You know the blow up chairs. Mm-hmm. I had a cigar in one hand, and a big glass of brandy in the other hand, and I was floating around. It was a glorious day, and I was thinking of ten different ways to kill myself. Wow! So what I mean by that is, so success—it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because at that point, uh, say if, uh, that was probably I was probably about forty. So at that point, I had everything that the twenty-year-old thought I would ever want. But that's the reality of what it was at that time. Now, things are so so different. We're lucky we managed to stay in our house, so we've still got a nice house, and we still, you know. But things are very very different now. Our lifestyle is totally different. But I am so successful, and it sounds, um, it sounds corny as I'm saying it, but, you know, my children are all safe. I've got five children. I've got four grandchildren. They're all, you know, much loved. And I don't want for much. You know, I, I, I'm not one of these people who's sort of anti-money or anti-success, because I think you need it. You need, let's be practical. You know, you can't you can't live on, on air and you can't live on ideals and principles. But money's fine, but don't attach your happiness to it. I don't know if that answers you, but that's sort of well.
1: It does. Why, if you don't mind me asking, why, when you were lying there, mm. were you thinking of ten ways to kill yourself?
0: Because what it is is, the, when someone's in addiction, their life becomes so empty. It's so lonely. There's there's so much self-loathing. There's so much guilt, shame, remorse. That it, so for a lot of people, we lose a lot of people. You know, we lose a hell of a lot of people. They, they Everyone thinks that alcoholism is, is something that people, you know, you, you die of cirrhosis of the liver. You know, many people kill themselves before they get to that stage. Um, and the problem we've got now, I believe it's uh, the last time I, I spoke to someone about it, you, it's very difficult even to get the figures, the most recent figures of suicide. Um, I don't think they want to want to publish them because it's it's um it's gone through the roof and you know it, until someone's in that position I mean now I would you know, oh thank god I thank god now that I <laughs> have never done that uh successfully and um so it's so few people manage to gain recovery that, that you know it's such a ever-growing problem, and I'm really not one of them who preaches that people shouldn't drink. And you know, born again drinker, but um, uh, you know, if someone is struggling with it, they really, really need help.
1: And how would you see failure, Stuart? What does failure mean to you?
0: Ah, uh, uh, you got him I was just thinking, I was just going to lie then, and he lied to you. I he said something like, you know, failure, you know, it doesn't exist, all that. Rubbish that I was going to come out with then. No, it, it, failure, it, it it can only really, it can only really be something uh, intact if you don't move on from it, if you don't learn from it. You know, that whole thing, I ever win or I learn. And I think I've, I've had so many failures in my, in my time that, you know, it's, it's that keep getting up, you know, without the failures, are you even risking anything? No, I, there's time. There's been times when I felt I failed, but now I look back and I don't really think I have failed that much. Really, I've just made the wrong choices.
1: You've got the most phenomenal resilience, Stuart, as a result of your <laughs> life's journey. I mean, have you? You've picked a life full of of chapters.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's a lot there. There's a I lot
1: mean, there. Yeah, I, the learning that you must have gone through is enormous so now we're going to move into how you look after yourself how important is incorporating looking after yourself in your day and do you manage to achieve it
0: no i don't think i look after myself enough i don't sleep well i don't get a lot of exercise That, that look at that that was a lie wasn't it I don't get a lot of exercise. No one gives you don't just get exercise. You have to get off your backside and go. So, the, the answer to that is I don't do enough exercise. There we go. That's honest. I, <laughs> I could eat healthier. Um, I don't take enough time out. I don't take enough time to do the stuff that I really love to do. So, yeah, I'd advise people to take care of themselves better than I do.
1: Would you like to change, do you think?
0: Yeah, I need to change. I think, uh, uh, you know, like I could say I'm. I'm sixty next year. You know, um, I, I've sort of in a position where, I, you know, I'm not going to be retired anytime soon. Uh, when it comes to the project, I would, uh, you know, I would do this for the rest of my life. You know, so it's, while while breath in me, if I if I can't physically go out and do it, I'll be sort of teaching people how to do it. So, haircuts hey, for homeless will be will outlive me. So, I think, yeah, I. I I, I need to, I need to change. You know, I've changed a lot of other things. I've proved I can change. Um, and if I'm not around to do that, you know, it's not going to get done. I always say I'm running out of time. because <laughs> kids get worried. They think I've got some de- a terrible disease that I'm not telling them about. But when I say that, I just think we have, we have so little time, don't we? We
1: do. And it's just so why you need to look do. after yourself, Stuart.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. I know.
1: Vital, but I mean, you're because the haircuts for homeless. Where do you see that? Do you see that going all over the UK? Do you see it going globally? How? How? What's your ambition with it?
0: Yeah, it, 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 there's no reason why it can't be all over the UK. Uh, give us, give us a few years that uh, it will be all over the UK. We're in Ireland, you know. We're in Dublin. We've been in Northern Ireland, but it didn't really work out. But there's no saying we can't get back there. Um, wow, Scotland, we, we've got a. So we're we're all over it, but we're scratching the surface because there's so many towns and cities that need that. Um, so we, we could we could treble, we could we could be ten times in number of what we're doing. You know, we could go from 60 to 600 projects, and still just be in the UK.
1: So time you looked after yourself, then Stuart <laughs>
0: Roberts.
1: I'm saying that one more time, and then I'm yes. going to park it.
0: Yes, Miss <laughs> Stuart.
1: What triggers your stress, and how does it affect you physically, mentally?
0: I've learned I've learned what triggers my stress. Um, uh, you know, it's the fundamentals. Um, it's th- that I did have to learn in recovery because uh, they're, they're all sort of triggers. So, things that will trigger is is anything that threatens my security, my self esteem. So, generally, you know, financial security, family security, but there again. Uh, I you know, it's I, I know I, I've got tools to use, so I can meditate. Uh, you yeah, I've got a fantastic support network around me, and the thing is, is to not you mustn't bottle stuff up. You must share. You must have people to share stuff with, uh, and also a, a lot of people come to me, and they don't. They often, you know, I, I get a lot of people like, coming to me for help, uh, and that helps me. You know. Because for every every time that you 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 know you you spend some time thinking about someone else's problem for them, it takes that away from yourself.
1: What music makes you feel good and what book would you miss if it wasn't on your bookshelf?
0: <laughs> this is now nah, this is funny, this. I'll do the book first. Okay. The book is the Bible. Now, this is funny because they, <laughs> I'm such an addict, right? About the age of about twelve or fourteen, I think <laughs> the, the Gideons came to our school.
1: Oh God, I remember the Gideons. Do you remember
0: that? They give you a little Gideon Bible. In fact, I just said, "Oh
1: God, that's not very religious." Yeah, yeah. Either.
0: And they and they they, they said because um, I'm not I'm not a religious person. This is the mm-hmm. funny thing. Uh, and they said about this story about this man who, and he read the Bible every day for seventy years till he died and all that thing. And it's got a little thing at the beginning and it tells you you know the daily readings for two years. So it sort of takes two years to read the whole Bible, uh, it's New Testament, and I, I. So I, you know, me being me, when I was about fourteen, I thought oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to read that all the way through, which I did. Yeah, you know, it took two years. It's daily readings, and I've done it ever since. And I'm fifty nine. <laughs> so I've like so <laughs> read it so many times, and the funny thing is that even I, I've been actually. I'll be honest with you. I've been actually drunk and drugged out of my head and still leant over and read my little bible passage before I passed out <laughs> and uh, you know i mean it's all sort of thing. i can I, you know i can i can read the lord's prayer out to you and and you know without, without looking all those sort of things but to be honest there is something comforting in it and and it's been, it's been a habit all this time and you know i mean i don't go to church my, my kids have not been christians so i can't call myself you know a full blown christian or anything but what, what I learned is in recovery is that uh, you've got to believe, you've got to have a higher power mm-hmm. of some sort to to just give you purpose, you know, and the fundamentals of right and wrong and don't be a dick.
1: <laughs> and what music makes you feel good?
0: I love I, I love 80s soul music. There's certain songs that, you know, I don't listen to a lot of music and i tell you what it is because when you work in a salon for 30-odd years... It almost becomes like the background noise of work, and so I, this is why I, want, you know, I love podcasts, I love things like that, audio books and things. But um, yeah, g- g- give me like, uh, oh, and some some of the old croners as well. You know, like if that that's life comes on, it gets it gets turned full blur.
1: <laughs> so Stuart, why would you say that you have had to have dollop loads of hope? and also bucket loads of patience.
0: Ah, hope and patience. It's it's a wonderful thing. I, You know, I live for hope. I see hope every day. You know, for every tragedy and everything that I see when I go to homeless centres and women's refuges and all of those places, and I see so many hopeless situations, but I see it filled with so much hope. Um, And that's where you see it, it's true estate, because it's, It's in a hopeless place. And patience, my family need patience with me every day. (laughs) (laughs) I've not got a lot of patience.
1: (laughs) What advice, Stuart, would you give um, to anyone who's thinking of setting up their own business or who's stagnating in their business at the moment?
0: In business is know your numbers. Mm. You know, know your break-evens, you know. The best advice anyone give about any business is have more coming in than going out. And that sounds so condescending, but so many businesses aren't even based on that. You know, that thing of turnover is vanity, profit is sanity. And even in this sort of, you know, wonderful age that we're in, people still don't even recognise that.
1: So, Stuart, where can our listeners find out more about you, Haircuts for Homeless? Where can they find out about potentially volunteering, donating and yeah. also find your Hear Me, See Me podcast too?
0: Well, I think the, the Haircuts for Homeless is all pretty much comes out of our website. So it's haircutsforhomeless.com. But the thing I have to say is it is the number four. So mm-hmm. it's haircuts4homeless.com. And it's got, you know, it's got a donate button. It's got all the stories about what we do. Uh, and it's the important thing is is the contact. It's got an email to info at Haircuts That all goes through to Blinda and anyone wanting anything, you know, whether it be to sponsor us or to to volunteer with us or or, or a centre that wants us to come and, and give a give our service to, you know, they can all get us through that. And the podcast is on... We're with Acast, so, you know, you go for Acast, uh, but it is on Spotify and iTunes and Amazon Music, so it's, it's there if anyone wants to have a listen.
1: And I would also say do check out Stuart's Instagram account because there are an amazing sort of photos and, and all what yeah. he's up to with his team, and it's a really good place to go to. So yeah. I would love to say the hugest of thank you, Stuart, <laughs> for joining us. You are such an amazing man. <laughs> I still can't get over the journey that you've had in life and just it's so incredible that you've created Haircuts for Homeless out of some really dark, bleak, horrendous moments Um, and and you're helping so many precious souls just feel a little ounce of joy. They helped me as well. So thank you very much. Thank you. Anyway, before I go, it's time for my recommendation, which today is a book and also the quote. So my book recommendation is The Practice, Shipping Creative Work by Seth Godin. It's a call to action that I found got me thinking and also fine tuning a a few bits and bobs. It's manageable if you're super busy as it consists of tiny, teeny bite sized topics. They're about 219 or so so you can dip into it and dip out and the quote is by mayor angelou the ache for home lives in all of us the safe place we can go as we are and not be questioned a huge thank you for finding the show i hope you enjoyed the chat if you're interested in hearing from other founders of social enterprises and charities do check out laura winningham founder of city harvest london and tessa clark founder of the olio app Both of them in series two. Don't forget to subscribe, follow to get the latest episode. And if you're listening on Spotify, make sure you switch on notifications to be the first to listen to the latest episode. Any recommendations, quotes, songs can be found in the show notes and on the website too. So until the next time, however tough these times get, keep that very special inner sparkle you have shining.
0: Open Patience with Amelia Rope. Join the conversation at hopeandpatience.co.uk. Find Amelia on Facebook at Hope and Patience or on Twitter and Instagram at Amelia underscore rope.